How do we build our dreams when we don't know what we want? Learn how Flaunt solves this problem in five bold and glittery steps with radio host Laura Cheadle. Using a combination of best girlfriend discussions and therapy-based exercises, listeners are taught how to build their dreams and live their sparkle. Flaunt. Find your fetish. Laugh out loud. Accept unconditionally. Navigate the negative and trust in your truth. Hello, welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and today's guest is Dr. Warren Farrell. Now, for those of you who know Dr. Warren Farrell, you know how absolutely fantastic he is. And for those of you who don't yet know who he is, let me spend a couple of moments introducing him. He has been chosen by the Financial Times as one of the world's top 100 thought leaders. Yeah, the world's top thought leaders. And also by the Center for World Spirituality as one of the world's spiritual leaders. So as you can tell, you are really in for a treat today. His books have been published in over 50 countries and in 15 languages. Two of his award-winning international bestsellers are Why Men Are the Way They Are um, and The Myth of Male Power, both of which are fantastic books. Dr. Farrell is currently, on the uh, is currently the chair of the commission to create a White House Council on Boys to Men and is co-authoring Boys to Men with author John Gray. And if you've ever heard of or read the Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus series, those are the books that um, John Gray wrote. Anyway, Dr. Farrell's books contribute to 12 disciplines, a book on couples communication, Women Can't Hear What Men Don't Say, was a selection of the Book of the Month Club. His father and child reunion book has inspired many dads to be more involved with their children and have helped others win custody. And the book, Why Men Earn More, The Startling Truth Behind the Pay Gap and What Women Can Do About It, was chosen by U.S. World and News Report in 2006 as one of the top four books on careers. Now, Warren has taught at the university level in five disciplines and has appeared on more than 1,000 TV and radio shows from, I mean, big ones. We're not talking little local stuff. We're talking Oprah, Larry King Lives, big things like that. And he has been featured repeatedly in Forbes, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal. Now, personally, he's got two daughters and a wife, and they live in Mill Valley, California, where Warren enjoys things like doing yoga, playing tennis, hiking, and hosting dinner parties at his home. So with that, welcome to the show, Warren. Thank you. I'm looking very forward to um, talking with you. This should, should be a lot of fun. Oh, it should be. I'm looking forward to it as well. Now, let's start, as they say, at the very beginning. What led you into the work that you do? I started, um, I was teaching at Rutgers University and the women's movement surfaced in about 1969 or so. 
And I started to incorporate that into my um, talking in the class. And uh, the and the half the students were sort of really um, opposed to the women's movement at the time, and about the other half were sort of like, "Hey, this is this is very important and good." And so I started having the people in the class um, play the play roles of saying, you know, debate why they felt it was either good or bad, and then <clears throat> and then much to their uh, concern uh, or much to their sort of being disconcerted, I, as soon as they had made their best arguments, I asked them to reverse roles and to uh, argue from the opposite perspective. And this got me started in a whole um, era of getting men and women to walk a mile in each other's moccasins. And to uh, so I would stage, um, I'd go around the, the world and uh, do, men, uh, I would say, every woman is part of a beauty contest every day of her life. And if you are a guy in the audience and you really want to understand women, uh, come up here on the stage and be part of that beauty contest of everyday life. Um, and I um, put all the guys through this beauty contest and chose six finalists or the, the audience of women who were the judges chose six finalists. And the, then I reversed the roles and said, okay, now it's women's turn to walk a mile in men's moccasins. So I, I would ask the women um, to sit according to how much money they made or how much money they expected that they would be making, say, five years after graduation. And then I would get the guys on stage to focus on uh, only the women that would be earning the most money so that they would be able to protect their children adequately by having them in good communities and good schools and uh, and and um, and be able to do what was uh, give the children the greatest number of advantages. And so um, guys were looking at women through very different eyes than we normally do, which you know what those eyes normally are. Mm -hmm. And so and, the, and it was really hard because some of the most attractive women were sitting in the back rows and the guys were being asked to focus on the front rows where they could best protect their children. And uh, finally, I got the guys to do this and then got the women to uh, come up on stage and ask out the guys that they were most attracted to, not to out and take guys maybe 10, 12, the 10th or 12th choice and maybe just so that they would not get rejected so much. Um, and so the women started to, to compete for the five or six guys that were, you know, had been the finalists in the men's beauty contest. And at the end of the, the program, the guys were saying, I have never in my life experienced such humiliation, feeling like Nothing about my deeper values, my integrity, my um, my uh, knowledge, my future was really being focused on. Just my body was being focused on. And I kind of loved that on one hand and hated what it left out about the appreciation of me. On the other hand, I really get uh, why I need to be watching doing that and what that what that creates for women. The women, on the other hand, were saying, you know, all of my life, every time I've used the word jerk, I've always applied that, I have to admit, to men. Uh, whereas today, I was the jerk. I was pretending in order to get this guy out uh, that I had more money than I do, that I was going to take them to the best restaurant in town, which I can't afford, that I was going to take them into a, in a type of beautiful new Porsche that I don't have. And, um, and I was, you know, these lies were coming right out of my mouth because I didn't want to be rejected. And then I physically took the guy by the hand because there were five or six guys around, women around the guy that I was interested in. And I took the, you know, guy by the hand 
hand and just physically pulled him out away from the other women so that I would, um, you know, I would win him over and, um, and, and capitalize on his passivity to have him be attracted to me. And so I was really behaved because if a guy did this to me, which guys have, um, I would, you know, call him a jerk. And today I was a jerk and I had no idea that it was so easy to become a jerk when the responsibility is on uh, you to be the one to fear risking rejection. And so that led to um, you know, a great deal of emotional gut level understanding between men and women. However, when I came back to speak at the same universities or institutions five, six years later, um, sometimes people that had been together as couples, I said, uh, you know, um, when you got into, I asked the question, when you got into arguments with each other, where you felt the other person was criticizing you, did this, did these insights that you got from this uh, walking a mile in each other's moccasins, did they really help? And the honest answer was, and the answer I did not want to hear, but the answer was, actually, the, when we got into arguments, if I felt criticized, all this stuff went right out the window. I just became defensive, and I started arguing back, and that led to escalation and so on. So wow. I began to start to see that, you know, that really the Achilles heel of all human beings is our inability to handle personal criticism without becoming defensive. And so I started to look at things like active listening, and active listening was really good for helping the person who was upset to be to feel heard by the partner because the partner said things like, you know, what I hear you say is, and that made the person who was talking um, and upset feel heard. However, active listening, I found out, was never done without a therapist. And so I started asking, why is that? And the reason is because the person who was listening had to drop their defenses and feel the criticism and then had to go to level two and repeat the criticism. And defenses are with us for a reason, even though they're not functional with for love. So I was trying to figure out how to get around this. And it was like it was like reprogramming a computer to get around the bio, you know, to, to, get, to, to get around the hard wiring of defensiveness when we're criticized. And so I ultimately found that um, that since responding to criticism defensively was biologically natural, I had to develop a way of altering someone's mindset before they experienced uh, criticism to associate the criticism with an opportunity to be more deeply loved. Now, how I did this was a, you know, is a 10 hour experience of, you know, of, of first of all saying, let's develop a conflict free zone for 166 hours a week. And so I teach everyone in my workshops how to uh, develop and experience um, a conflict free zone. And it, it also involved building up the reservoir of appreciations, which meant teaching people in the couples communication workshops how to know how to appreciate their partner so their partner felt the appreciation more potently and more with greater um, amounts of experience of really being appreciated than they had in the past. And, um, and then just setting aside two hours a week where before they heard their partner's main concern for the week, uh, that they moved into an altered state where in that altered state they trained themselves 
to associate be, hearing what their partner's concerns were with an opportunity to be more deeply loved by their partner. And so before anything is heard that is negative, that's what I ask couples to do. And then when during the week, when little criticisms come up or sarcasms or whatever, I teach couples what to, how, to, how to deal with that um, until that uh, two-hour period of time during that week that's pre, that is pre-scheduled um, comes. Okay. So if I'm hearing you right, throughout the week, little things can come up. And you're advocating that couples don't say, you know, that the nasty little things, why didn't you take out the trash? Why didn't you? Da, 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 just to kind of put those aside and then to bring them all to your partner's attention during that two-hour time frame. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. I, I, with one <laughs> little exception, which is that... Um, the, I ask them to only bring up one concern per week um, because I find if you bring up more than one concern, you start, regret, uh, you start fearing uh, that period of time and it becomes overwhelming. And so you don't bring, so you just skip it and don't do anything at all. Um, and then that builds up a different type of uh, concern. And then secondly, because once you hear your partner's concern in a way that leaves your partner feeling more loved and more heard, and you are processing it in a way that allows you to know that the better, the more, the safer the environment you provide for your partner, the more your partner will feel loved by you and safe oh. with you. And therefore, the more your partner will love, love you. Uh, the more you make those types of associations before you hear your partner's concern, uh, the more you are able to sort of um, fully, t uh, the, the, the more you leave your partner knowing that if I have something else that I want to bring up, like not taking out the garbage, uh, I can bring that up and I will be heard that way next week. Um, I will be heard so uh, non-defensively next week. The other thing about like the taking out the garbage, one of the things, one of the other trainings in the couples communication workshop is to train each couple to to do criticism differently. So instead of saying you never take out the garbage, um, saying would you take out the garbage this you know uh, tomorrow? Um, so you, you instead of doing a criticism, you do an ask. Um, instead of saying you know uh, you left the toilet seat down again, um, saying that. Uh, would you leave the toilet? Uh, you you, uh, you have the toilet seat up again. Uh, say, would you leave the toilet seat down? It really is, appears much more aesthetic to me uh, mm -hmm. that way. So you express what your request is, and then you express the feeling that it gives you. That's a better feeling when that request is made. And you don't do a number of things like you don't say, would you put the toilet seat down as opposed to doing what you do, leaving it up. Right. Um, and you don't say, uh, would you put the toilet seat down? That's the right way to do it um, because um, it's, it, but you, it's if you let your partner know that it pleases you more, uh, most partners want to please their partner. Um, and so uh, they're much more willing to respond positively to uh, something that they know will make their partner happy. I love it. And just from a personal point of view, I do a lot of work with habits and people fall into habits. We are creatures of habit. And with this model that you're proposing, I believe it would make all people a little bit more thoughtful about where they're the language they're using. And are they negative? Are they always criticizing? They don't really mean it. Or are they, 
you know, always positive. It, it just sheds light on your own habits because if I have to store up all of my criticisms and pick one, it might lead me to believe, wow, I have fallen into a pattern of criticizing things that don't really even rise to the level of concern. I'm just in a bad habit. You're, you're so right, and there's so many dimensions to what you just said there. Um, number one is that uh, let's say somebody um, brings home, um, goes shopping, and um, and they bring home maybe 30 items, and um, and then the uh, and they bring them, and their partner says, "Gee, um, you know, could you, um, you got the wrong size milk?" Um, and so um, what they've just done is they've skipped over all 29 decisions that were just were correct. They've skipped over an appreciation for the person person doing the shopping. They've um, skipped over an appreciation for the person unloading the stuff into the um, refrigerator, refrigerator, let's say, and picked up the, picked on the one thing that they didn't feel was was right. Um, and instead, so you know what I advise in those cases is to you know first of all make sure that you're you're focusing your attention on the positive, um, but not to the elimination of things that are concerning or bothering you. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but in the case, of, in this particular case, I would just tend to encourage couples to just register that the the quart of milk was bought when you preferred the half gallon and then, right. and not say anything at the time. But the next time that you shop, just write um, uh, on your shopping list, milk, half gallon. Um, and that solves the problem and no one feels criticized. And, um, and so you, so you select out the criticisms that, that are, that are really helpful. Um, but you frame them in a way that's an ask rather than the criticism as we were mentioning before. And then you take the criticism that is, um, that is negative. And when you are feeling like that's, that's needed to be discussed during that what I call the caring and sharing time which is the time when you get to share your one concern that is the biggest concern if you're really upset about that and you say things in a negative type of way let's say you know I really hate it that you you always um, um, get the wrong things shopping um, even once I had something on the list and you completely ignored it um, you know and so during that period of time even when the criticism is being said in a negative way in language that could be corrected and improved, I am asking the person who's listening uh, because of this altered state that they're in to just be there for their partner, sharing their criticism in their negative way with a, maybe an in, you know, a, a tone of voice that is not most effective, maybe with words that are, that are, that, that I've given them instructions for could be said in a better way and just be there for their partner's story and their partner's tone of voice and their partner's way. And what two things usually happen from that, the partner feels like so free to just share from their heart. And as they see that they're not being interrupted and they're being heard and they see their eyes of supportive contact come from their partner, all their need to be negative and their tone of voice becomes much less. Um, and But even if it doesn't become less, much less, it almost always does, but even if it didn't, the fact that your partner is there providing a safe space for you for being who you are in your worst moments creates enormous amounts of security and feelings of being loved because um, many of us are fearful of going into our worst moments, and so therefore we keep guards in front of us um, that are that are sometimes not as healthy as they could be. 
Oh, absolutely. Now, talk to me more about this altered state. Um, I found that fascinating that defensiveness is, <laughs> is really a thing. It's not just something that we can choose to overcome. It's a, there's a biological reason that a necessity, really. And I, I'm curious about this biological state that can kind of transcend that and alter that. Absolutely. So biologically, uh, when we heard criticism, let's say we, um, you and I lived a few thousand years ago and we were part of a kinship network or a tribe, and you know, um, we were both the leaders of that tribe, and we sensed and heard that some criticism was being, um, came through the network and from another tribe. Well, it would be very functional for you and I as leaders of our tribe to get our defenses up to make sure so that in case we were attacked, um, we would be able to be prepared for that attack, or maybe even better, uh, that we killed the criticizer before the criticizer killed us. Wow. And so, um, and so that was so that was built into the survival of all of us. The result of that is, if we took that approach, um, the chances are much better that our tribe or kinship network would survive. Um, but uh, so we had uh, so what was functional for survival was exactly the opposite of what was functional for uh, the growth of love, uh, which would be to provide a safe environment for our partners to say whatever they felt um, and then be able to trust that they were, uh, that when we did that, they would feel more loved and secure by us and therefore have less reason to escalate an attack on us. So then the next issue becomes, okay, so how do we get around that? And so um, I do a series, I, I do what I, a six month, I have people, each couple, before they hear the criticism of their partner or with, you know, what their partner would just call a suggestion for improvement, but what the person who's being asked to improve would call um, uh, a criticism, um, I have them before they hear that um, to meditate into that, uh, into an altered um, state. And so the first step of the altered state uh, each each single mindset that they meditate on before they hear the criticism um, is it comes from out of an experience that they do in the workshop with each other. So, for example, the first experience I ask them to do is to say, imagine that you uh, write on a piece of paper whether or not you would be willing to take a 50% chance of losing your life if you knew you could do something that would lead to a 100% chance of your partner's life being saved. So let's say your partner was drowning and you knew that you could swim well enough to, um, you know, to save their life, but that once you push them up on the, on the, um, you know, on the, on the, on the shore, uh, that you might get swept away by the current that was very strong and that you'd have a 50% chance of, of dying yourself. Wow. And so um, I have every single person write this and they write it on a piece of paper um, that they crumple up and they throw in a part of the room, males in one corner, females in the other corner. And the males will then pick up the piece of paper and they read what the other males read, um, wrote and the women do the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we find from that is usually about 98% of the males in the room um, say that they would be willing to take a 50% chance of risking dying for their partner if, if they knew that they'd have a 100% chance of uh, their partner's life uh, being saved. Now, remember, this is about 98% usually, and this is a group where I'd say about 30% of the people in the room, couples, um, are considering getting divorced. And ah. so you have 30% couples considering getting divorced, yet 
the great majority of those couples, the men would be willing to take a 50% risk of dying to save the, their partner's life that they might yet divorce if this workshop doesn't work. Conversely, the women, to the surprise of men, about 85% of them say that they would be willing to risk their lives um, to save their partner's life. Okay, so now you have the first meditation, and that first meditation is basically saying, you know, if I would be willing to risk my life to die for you, maybe compared to that, listening to you wouldn't be so hard. You know, if you're so precious to me uh, that I would risk, I would die for you, maybe just having you who is so precious to me blossom by being heard uh, would be uh, comparatively easy. And so they go through six mindsets like this. And each mindset, I ask them to take in, breathe, center themselves. And by the time they're finished, the six mindsets, they, uh, you know, the, the idea of hearing their partner's complaint, no matter how, or criticism, no matter how badly it is stated, seems like, you know, it's, seems like nothing. Um, and, and then their partner not only feels heard, but they feel so safe that they find themselves at first, they're just saying things that they've said previously to their partner. But now with the safety, they find themselves peeling off new layers of the onion, so to speak, uh, to the point where partners will often say, you know, I found myself thinking thoughts I never even knew I, I thought I, uh, because I felt such safety. I felt permission to say uh, I didn't realize that this was attached to this piece of anger that I was holding on to, or this part of my history or background, or um, and now I feel safe to say that and connect all those things together, and I've never felt so loved by my partner. Now understand, it's very rare that people say to the couples say to me, "I never heard this complaint from my partner before." They usually have. They just haven't allowed their partner to take it as deep and to feel as safe as they were sharing that um, complaint or that concern um, from their partner. Wow, that makes complete sense. Now, during this two-hour time frame where the couples are sharing their concerns with each other, do they go one partner, then there's a break, then the other partner? H how do you structure that? Yes, very good question. Uh, first of all, they, they start out doing what I call, it's, it's, I call it a caring and sharing sandwich. And the first part of the sandwich is you uh, do two appreciations the way I teach couples to do appreciations, which is being, uh, I have a whole process that I have couples work through to be very much more specific in their appreciations than they normally would be. So instead of saying, you know, I, I think you're a great cook, you say, you know, I really think the way you um, did uh, cook that turkey was great. But then I teach them to say, nope, what is there about the way they cooked the turkey that was great? I really like the way you did the skin on that turkey. I really like the way you did the um, uh, the, the uh, stuffing. Nope, what was good about the way you did the stuffing? Uh, well, the stuffing was nice and moist. Sometimes it's dry um, when I've had it at other people's homes. Well, what was nice about that moist stuffing? I like the fact that it had some type of spices in it. What were those spices? Uh, oh, maybe that were, was that oregano, thyme, rosemary, sage? Um, and so as you are describing an appreciation with being specific, the person is feeling like not just a generalized example that they've heard uh, heard a hundred people say like they they cook well, but rather that they see that their their partner is really honing in on exactly what they are doing uh, that and they're they're caught doing the most minuscule thing 
in a right way and being appreciated for it, which leads their partner to imagine the potential for being appreciated for almost everything they do and have, therefore, a greater amount of purpose in their life um, about the way they um, um, are dealing with their everyday life. And so, so I have them do two appreciations before they hear the concern of their partner and then two appreciations at the end of the entire process. So, so the person giving the, uh, the sharing the concern or what the other person may hear as criticism is the first to go. She or he deals, um, gives two appreciations. Then the, par the person, partner A shares what their concern is. Then the other partner says, you know, uh, what I, they move in before they share that concern. They have to read the mindsets out loud. Uh, mm -hmm. so that the partner knows that they're preparing themselves so that the person that's about to give the criticism or the concern knows that the other one is 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 getting safer and safer so they're feeling more and more open to sharing that criticism then finally they do share the criticism after their partner has read all the um the mindsets and said the mindsets in their own um in their own words so they this is not just rote catechism type reading um mm -hmm. and so they um, then once the then once everybody feels safe and I teach them how to give signals to make sure that happens, then the, the criticism is shared. Anytime the person who is hearing the criticism is feeling like they're getting off center, they use the word hold to stop the criticism, to give a chance to recenter oh. uh, re themselves uh, so that the person hearing the criticism is always safe and the person giving it knows that the person is not storing up negativity to shoot back at them. Um, yes. And then once that is done, then the person who's heard the criticism will have a chance to share their response. But before they share their response, I then have the person who's just shared the criticism move into an altered state. Because what happens is when someone has shared their concern and then their partner has heard it beautifully right to their, you know, to the, to the point where they've never felt that safe and heard before, then they're often shocked that the person that's been hearing them so well has a totally different way of looking at that. And they, they become defensive very quickly because they don't have their defenses up. So they have to be make the person who's just given that criticism and, and felt so heard has to prepare himself even more carefully for those six mindsets to be able to move into a safe place and to have, and I explain, I pass out hand, handouts that help them understand the the way human beings process information, which is basically that um, that everyone sees the exact same information or a visual picture of something, and everyone processes it differently. So if you love somebody, you're going to expect their story about that same incident to be exact, very different than your story. And mm -hmm. so, um, and that is, um, yeah, and so then then rather than get defensive about the fact that their partner who's just heard them so beautifully is giving a totally different story, huh. they're sort of appreciating, this is the woman, this is the man I fell in love with. Uh, they have their own story, their own way. I fell in love with them because these differences were charming to me at the beginning, exciting to me at the beginning, whatever they were. But if I love this person to the point where I'll die for this person, I certainly want to hear the way they look at the world. That's amazing. That absolutely makes sense. The other thing that I really am just sitting here appreciating about your work 
is the fact that whether our relationships are good or bad or anywhere in between, life is difficult. We all have our own biases. And as good as a relationship can be, there will be criticisms. There will be concerns. It's how we manage the inevitable. It's not that a good relationship has no conflict and we see everything the same. Yay. It's, Let's, let's manage this in a constructive way. And, and I can see these tools and techniques um, being applicable in a wide variety of situations as well. Absolutely. And um, one of the, th well, actually the whole inspiration for this couples communication workshop um, that I'm doing at Omega in, um, at the end of yes. October um, in New York is the, um, came from the fact that I used to do these workshops on one of the books that I wrote called Why Men Are the Way They Are. And um, I did them at Esalen in uh, California. Um, and one of the letters I got um, afterwards was a letter um, from somebody saying that you're, you know, the, the one portion of the workshop, there was five segments of the workshop, and one of the portions was on couples communication. Um, but it was only one of the portions. And, they, and this person wrote me and said, of the five parts of your workshop, the part on couples communication has been so effective. I have been using it with my family business. So not with his uh, partner um, only, but with his family business. And then he signed the letter and I looked up his um, name and he was the president of Walmart, uh, you know, which <laughs> had the biggest family business in the world. He never revealed that at the workshop. And I thought, well, if this person who can afford the best consultants in the world is saying this was helpful to him, maybe I should, you know, do what I was feeling in the back of in my gut. Um, I needed to do, which was to develop this workshop, this this part of the workshop into a, a full-blown workshop uh, much more effectively. And even though I spent, you know, my life um, writing books um, like Why Men Are the Way They Are and the books that, you know, um, like The Boy Crisis that just came out, um, the, you know, and the, they really make an attempt to get men and women to understand each other. Um, I have really found that, you know, when people finish the boy crisis. Yes, it seems to help them a great deal with their family, but nothing helps more than having a method of being able to hear your partner's concerns that you know while you are hearing it, you are, as your partner is saying, sometimes the most negative things you could imagine about you, that you know that providing that safe space for your partner to, to vent these things is going to be like um, seeing pollution in a stream. And when you see pollution in a stream and you, um, you, and you know that you are providing a filter to, and, that, and you're listening to your partner, it's like a filter that, that filters out the pollution in the stream. And after your partner feels listened to, what you have left is a beautiful and pure stream without the, without the pollution in it. And when you can visualize that ahead of time, which is one of the mindsets I ask people to visualize, um, is and you can then not be so defensive about what your partner is saying that makes you, that, we, that instead of saying, if my partner really feels this way about me, why would they ever want to be married to me? Exactly. Uh, you, can, you, you just say to yourself, my goodness, no matter the angrier my partner is, the more they will have the gratitude about my providing a safe environment for them and the more love they will feel by me, 
this anger is just an opportunity to be more deeply loved. And your entire, and with four other mindsets like this, you just begin to sort of take a totally different approach to anything that you would normally become defensive about. That's amazing. It, it makes so much sense too. It, it's just brilliant. Now, as you were talking about that, you mentioned your workshop at Omega, and I'd like to hear more about that because I, I do know you've got a big one coming up, and I know I'm interested in learning more about it, and I'm sure our listeners are interested as well. Well, thank you. Yes, it's, um, I have a, um, a, a work, the next workshop coming up at Omega Institute, um, and that's in Rhinebeck, New York, which is, by the way, a charming town, and, um, and it's, it starts on Friday night, September 28th and goes to Sunday at around noon and it's um and it's it's 10 hours of uh, workshop work and then the rest of the time you have free to you know be on a beautiful um you know piece of land and property that with many many activities um and so it's um and, and it's it's, a, it's the smallest workshop that I do around the country so the value of that is it's more intimate. It's usually around 20 um, people rather than the 40, 50 uh, people I normally deal with. And so it allows me to get to know the couples. However, um, the, um, every, many men in particular worry about doing what they call airing their dirty laundry in public. Um, if you're attending the Omega workshop, nobody hears your challenges. That is, I create a structure and then you discuss the issue that is concerning you within the framework of that structure. And so the only person that hears what you and your partner are going through is your partner. And so, and be before you, you have that happen, you have all these mindsets that you've been trained to work with and you've shared many, many appreciations with your partner that your partner has not heard at that level of specificity. And you have a whole way of dealing with um, making your partner's uh, environment safe and uh, taking and creating the, and how to create and sustain that conflict-free zone uh, that I mentioned a while ago. Mm -hmm. And so there's such enormous security there that couples don't come away feeling like, you know, exposed um, in the areas that they feel embarrassed about talking about. I love that. So when you talk about couples, um, are you talking for the for workshop purposes? Are you talking married couples in crisis? Are you talking newlyweds? Are you talking any kind of couples, or are there any parameters around that? Yes, really good question. My um, my wife is going there, and um, she is come, and the person that's joining her um, to be an assistant at my workshop um, is a fellow that was her business business partner uh, for a quarter century. And so, um, and they will talk about the issues that came up for them during that quarter century or an issue that came up for them and process that in such a way that they can deepen their friendship uh, in the future. Um, and obviously I do this, um, this process quite often with, with my wife as a, as a loved one and a partner. Um, so, a par so a couple is any two people who have a past history who would like to have a future history of improved communication. So it can be um, in the past, my assistant came with um, her son, who was a teenage son, mm -hmm. um, who was going through a major rebellion, rebellion stage, and that, she says, to this day has had a huge impact on him doing a turnaround. Um, in addition to another son that um, 
was about to drop out of high school and ended up graduating high school and is now in college. Um, wow. And so it can, it can be any, two, it can be certainly same sex couples. I hope that goes without saying yes. um, it can be, uh, and it can be uh, two people as, as I implied from my first example in a working relationship or um, coming with your parent, any two people that you've, that you had a, had a history with that you'd like to have an improved future because exactly what you said a few minutes ago, there's no relationship that doesn't have conflicts come up. And you, it's about, it's what you do. And, and it, let's say there is a relationship where there's almost no conflict at all. That relationship almost invariably has one area of conflict, which is it's probably asexual. That is, when you have no tension between you, you usually have a brother-sister relationship that emerges, which becomes its own problem. And so, um, and so you sometimes have people having affairs that have a very good brother-sister relationship with their partner, um, but that's kind of a bummer way of going through life if you, um, because right. there's so much challenge that happens when you have those affairs. And so, um, that's, um, my, you know, I hope that that maybe explains that well. No, that does. And I was thinking, what a beautiful gift for some of the younger people that attend this workshop, whether they are, you know, parent-child or just younger people. The skills that they will gather in this workshop will benefit them in every relationship their whole life. You are so right. I think my favorite uh, couple to work with uh, aside from a couple that's on the verge of divorce and they say they've done everything possible and they're, you know, and, and then they end up at the end of the workshop feeling really close to each other. Besides that, I'd say my favorite thing is to um, see um, somebody who's gifted oftentimes um, instead of giving a normal wedding gift has given someone a gift to Omega and they come to Omega with, you know, sort of like, well, we really don't need this because, you know, but we do have some issues, but maybe it would be okay and good. So thank you, Grandpa. Thank you, Dad. Um, and um, and then they go to the workshop and it's like their eyes open and they say, and, and it's like, wow, are we glad we have learned this now um, mm -hmm. before we, um, you know, before we have begun, to, because some of these things were creeping up and then the wedding was you know, being planned and the wedding planning um, brought a lot of tensions to the fore, but we didn't want to reveal those because after all, we didn't want to spoil the wedding and we'd already invited people and so on. And so, you know, when I look at those people go through the workshop, the you know, only regret that I have, I say to myself, well, if my former wife and I had known the things that you knew, the only, the only good news about not knowing these things is I wouldn't have married the woman I'm now married to for the last 25 years right. involved with. And so it's one of those types of mixed feelings. But, um, you know, certainly this is probably the greatest gift you can give to a, um, um, a newlywed or, or a couple that is, you know, considering getting married and aren't sure whether they should take that final leap. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And also, I'm just such a big proponent of having a variety of tools in our toolbox. Mm -hmm. And I know even for myself, with the therapy background, with the legal background, I feel like I've got a wide variety of tools, but oh my gosh, with every new skill set, it just increases one's you know, likelihood of success. And you can never learn too much. So for the listeners out there who are thinking, oh, well, I've, I've done a workshop on, you know, an Imago Dialogue, or I, I know how to actively listen. Trust me, there's probably more, <laughs> more skills. There is. I would not have um, 
spent my years developing this couples communication workshop if I felt that active listening by itself was sufficient. Um, And, but when I found that it wasn't being used by couples, unless they had a therapist with them, I sort of asked myself, that's really an unfair type of, um, uh, a way of um, having something because it means that only people that could afford therapists can, can, you know, can do something as valuable as active listening. And so that was when I started investigating why was, uh, why was not why were people not doing this on their own so the this couples communication workshop is designed to be self sustaining mm-hmm. but it, because nothing can be self sustaining without questions being asked um i do free follow up phone calls to people in the workshop um to the first year and then a free follow-up phone call every year after that for as long as I last. Um, and the, <laughs> um, and so, and because it, it, it um, helps people sort of talk through, um, talk, talk through the stumbling blocks, um, share each other's successes and expi- inspire each other. And it also helps me um, to see where, you know, what things that I shared at the workshop were of greatest value and which things that I shared at the workshop um, didn't really have a lot of um, uh, traction. Right. I love that. And I love how you honed in on that fact that the mindset has to be right. We can use every tool in the book, but if we're in a defensive mindset, it doesn't matter. So I love that you honed in on that. And then that follow-up. So you can help couples continue to create change. It's, it's not just saying, yeah, there you go, one and done, you're in and you're out. It's what is working and what is not working. And that, that's wonderful. I honor you for doing that. Well, thank you. I'm very much a realistic romantic, um, which is somewhat of an oxymoron. And, you know, I, I hate it when, you know, when, when let's say, a, a, somebody shouts out to a star on the stage, I love you. And the star shouts back, I love you. I'm saying, like, you know, why are we using I love peanut butter and I love you in such a superficial way? Um, right. so, you know, uh, to me, the word love really means it carries with it a whole set of responsibilities, a whole set of learning tools to sustain that and deepen that. And it is one of the most beautiful, to me, it's the most beautiful thing uh, we have to, uh, one of the most beautiful possible gifts that we have. And when we love somebody deeply, um, you know, my, my relationship with my wife has been, would never be where it, even close to where it is if it wasn't for our using this um, tool every week um, as a result of the caring and sharing tool that I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're absolutely right. The, you know, the tools in our toolbox, box, no matter who you are as a couple, if you're an attorney, for example, on the one hand, you have, you have honed the art of listening to somebody else's perspective and knowing that everything has multiple perspectives. That's terrific. But you've also honed the art, chances are, of thinking to yourself about the responses that you can prepare for while the other person is talking. And that works against being um, doing what one needs to do when one listens. And so each profession has its own sort of strengths and weaknesses in terms of um, being able to um, hone the ability to be not defensive and mm-hmm. really provide a safe environment for our partner's feelings. Right. And I also like just the um, vocabulary of a safe environment because it does recognize the fact that as big and strong and adultish and capable as we all like to believe that we are, 
We are all tender beings. We all get our feelings hurt. We all want to be loved and accepted. And just using that dialogue, I believe, allows us to drop our defenses a little bit and to recognize that about ourselves, but also about our partner as well. You're, you're so right. And so often the you know, one of the challenges for couples is that they have a criticism of their partner. But if you take it back to, you know, what made you attracted to this person who you're criticizing for these qualities? And it's oftentimes like, let's say a very beautiful, loving, artistic person falls in love. Um, she or he realizes that they have the spontaneity, but they need stability. They need somebody who's very dependable. So they fall in love with somebody who's stable and very dependable and maybe quite successful. But then they start criticizing that person for so being so preoccupied with the very success that they fell in love with because success comes with attributes yeah. um, that, that lead oftentimes to a greater amount of uh, perfection, a greater amount of um, trying to solve problems. And so Typically speaking, for example, I, uh, when I've had CEOs at the workshop or people that are very successful um, and their wife, uh, they hold their wife with such um, preciousness. And if she expresses a feeling of hurt or pain, they immediately go into problem solver mode and yes. leading, the, 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 leading their wife to feel completely unheard because they can see their partner's brain ticking on some other different mechanism of problem solving and then the guy comes up with a solution to a problem and the woman instead of feeling really heard feels not only not heard but also feels like you know it's sort of an insult to me that you can come up with a solution in two in five minutes that I couldn't come up with in a lifetime of uh, lifetime so instead of feeling nourished and nurtured she feels criticized and um, not really nurtured in the way she wants and so and they and the the CEO is going yeah, but this is, you know, I fix problems like this all the time. This is just my strength. This is what you chose me for. And right. I have to say, you can fix her problem. You can fix it by listening. You can fix it by letting her know what you've heard. You can fix it by asking her, and what do you feel? Tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. And he still doesn't get it. And I said, what I said is, you can fix her problem. If you found a way at work that you could fix the problems at work, but it happened to be a different method by listening rather than telling people what to do, would you take that method up? Oh, yeah. yeah. And suddenly it clicks for them. This, I, I am fixing it, but I'm fixing it in the opposite way that I normally learned how to fix it. I love that. I love that. Now, I'm sure, like me, most of the people listening want to learn more about you, about this process. Um, we've already talked about the Omega Workshop, maybe some more information on that, how to register, as well as maybe where to find out information about some of the other workshops and other locations that you teach. W would you like to give us some of that? Sure, for the Omega Workshop, I'm just probably the best thing to do is just go, um, just Google Omega Institute um, or eomega.org. Um, and go, go to um, put in couples or put in Warren Farrell, my name, and mm -hmm. that and the workshop will come up and it gives a fairly good description of that on the workshop and also a video uh, um, on the on the on the page of Omega um, and also a video of that. If you'd like to see the other workshops I do, uh, mostly on the West Coast, um, you can go to uh, WarrenFarrell.com, W-A-R-R-E-N. 
and then Farrell is F is in Frank, A-R-R-E-L-L. So it's F-A, not Will, not Will Farrell, like the um, comedian, but Warren and then F-A-R-R-E-L-L uh, dot com. And then go to the couple's communication page or go to where Warren will be. Um, so where Warren will be or the couple's communication page on warrenferrell.com and you'll find out where I will be. <laughs> and also um, the couple's communication page gives uh, a number of different videos uh, that I that I do explaining the workshop and you, you actually see uh, one of the workshops was done at my home. So I um, got permission from everybody to, fil to film it and so you can get an actual sense of how the workshop uh, experience is. Oh, that's wonderful. And then for those who might not be able to attend a workshop, are there, um, do you have any, are, do any of your books address this topic? Yes, a book that I wrote called Women Can't Hear What Men Don't Say. That's Women Can't Hear What Men Don't Say. Um, the first hundred pages of it deals, deals with the, um, the foundation of what I was just, I've just been talking with you about. I have honed it more um, fully since the, the time I wrote that book, uh, which was about the year 2000. Um, but nevertheless, it gives a fair amount of that uh, underlying structure that will help uh, you, re you review this. But I think this is, to be honest with you, um, this is the best interview I've had done um, of me um, about some of the basics of the uh, workshop. So I think that just maybe reviewing this will help, but um, taking that and working it with um, the, um, some of the videos and the Women Can't Hear What Men Don't Say book will all be helpful. But I really have to say that nothing comes close to replacing the workshops itself because this is not the type of thing. It's a little bit like you reading a computer manual and you don't really get it until you actually go hands-on on the computer and, you know, and, play, and play with it. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I just want to throw this in there because of my background and the, the hot minute of work that I did as a divorce attorney. And I want to say, trust me, Attending a workshop is far less costly than having a divorce. So if there's any concern that, oh, I don't want to put in the money or the time or the emotion to do a workshop, do the workshop. It will save you money. It will save you consternation. It will save you stress. Anytime someone is there to help you, take that help. I really agree with that so enormously because when I did the research for my most recent book, The Boy Crisis, what I discovered was that the boy crisis resides where fathers do not reside and fathers do not often reside in families of divorce. And when there's a divorce, it's you, a number of things happen. Both children all, all the children, both uh, children of both sexes, have an enormous amount of insecurity that is not forgotten, and they suffer in more than 70 different ways. Wow. But even though that's true of both sexes, boys who have m many fewer emotional skill sets uh, than girls do suffer much more fully. The boy crisis is is so um, so prevalent among boys who feel that their mother and father have broken up 
or you know, even if they haven't broken up, that they have terrible communication between the two of them and they always see them fighting. But more importantly, when the boy feels left um, by, especially if in the process of the divorce, he has minimal or no father involvement, uh, the, our prisons are filled with not just boys, but almost all of the prisoners, more than 90% are boys with minimal or no father involvement. Our ISIS recruits are boys almost always of minimal or no father involvement and therefore, and children of divorce. And our, um, our mass shootings are done almost completely by boys, males, and minimal or no father involvement and therefore, and usually products of divorce. And so the, the heritage that you leave your children by good communication is so extraordinary and the heritage that you leave them, the legacy that leads not just to your lives being damaged, but your children's lives and therefore your children's children's lives being damaged by not having good communication um, is enormous and certainly far less expensive at every level of um, measure um, than, than going through a divorce. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, Warren, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for the work that you do for the lives that you touch. I sincerely hope that you keep spreading your word far and wide and that more and more people, I hate to use the phrase buy into this because that presupposes a lot of things, that more and more people choose to take this route like you said, choose the legacy that they leave, choose happiness for themselves, for their kids, for their families, for all of the generations to come. So I thank you very much for that. I thank you for the, the way you've asked questions, the, the background you've given, the connection of your, to your own life and, to the, uh, and your experience as a divorce attorney, and the way you've listened so beautifully to the answers. You're just um, a wonderful communicator, and so I really, really appreciate your, this whole process. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, once again, if you would like to reach out to him, it's www.warrenfarrell.com. And if for some reason you don't have a pen or can't write that down, reach out to me. I'm happy to connect you to, um, put you in touch with the Omega Institute, anything like that. So listeners, have a fantastic week. Think about your own legacy on this one. And as usual, don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Dream Vision 7 radio network. Come release outdated labels, roles, and scripts. Reveal the calling of your soul and re-choreograph your own life, even when you're unsure of what you want. In five bold and glittering strokes, you too can build your dreams and live your sparkle. Find out more about Laura at PyramidFusion.com.